Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mission Control, a podcast focused on executive directors and nonprofit leaders and how they strive to make positive impacts in their community. I'm Paul Schmidt, your owner and creative video strategist for Introduce Multimedia, and I am glad to have a good friend of mine on the show today, CJ Clark, the current executive director for Living Water Ministries. Hey, CJ, how you doing? Hey, Paul, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. So, you know, it seems like looking back, I've known you for close to two decades. And I think I met you at a camp. Probably. But I know that I didn't grow up being a camp kid. Yeah. Um, But that just seems to be probably the overarching theme for for uh most of your relationships to this point has probably stemmed from from uh uh being in a camp it has yeah <laughs> camp has been a, a through line for my life having been a camper at the camp i now live at and and run and the nonprofit the, that i'm the executive director of so i live at the camp uh and i was a camper here and I was a summer staffer here as a, a young adult and then came back in 2005 and have been doing this full time for this is now my 17th year. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So what is basically the mission of Living Water Ministries? Uh, Living Water Ministries, uh, essentially, uh, our mission is to bring together all of God's children for faith-filled experiences of service, leadership, and community. Um, and that's that's the driving statement that informs a lot of the programs that we do and how we go about implementing our programs. That it that has to tick those boxes of, of you know faith formation, service, leadership, and uh, community. And we take real seriously uh, bringing this 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 phrase in our mission statement, which is uh, bringing together all of God's children. And what what does that mean? And how far reaching does that go uh, in a in a camp setting that was originally designed to serve congregations uh, for the ELCA Lutheran Church in the Lower Peninsula of Michigan? We've now uh, kind of redefined how far beyond that denomination we go. We certainly still serve that church, uh, but we see ourselves um, as an expression of that church into the world, and so that's really brought a whole lot of new life and new partnerships and new campers and new experiences to, to the foreground. So let me go back a little bit and, uh, and, and talk about the draw to going into camping ministry. What did it, how did it, what did it say to you? I mean, obviously it, it created some type of draw. What was that? What yeah. was that trigger? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it goes back to when I was a camper. Uh, as a middle school age kid, I was here three different summers. And I can't tell you specifically what we did every day. Uh, but I can tell you how I felt. And I felt like I was in a place where I was loved and valued and accepted truly for who I was. I didn't have to pretend to be something else. I didn't have to try and fit in. Um, I was given grace and forgiveness for the mistakes that I would make during the week. Like the community was just a supportive, loving, encouraging one. Uh, 
And I remember that in, in the relationships I had with the other kids in my cabin and my summer staff uh, people, and even the church that brought me, we had a group of kids that came and we did um, Bible studies and kind of community time with each other. And I remember just how that felt. And it felt so unique uh, and so uh, special. And it stuck with me, that sense of uh, belonging and acceptance. And so that's when I became a young adult. And I always kind of thought, well, maybe I'd go back there and work in the summer. And I'd kind of let that go. But a, an opportunity kind of hit me at the last minute one summer. And they had a shortage of staff. And I had a friend working. And I got invited to, to be on staff. And I dropped everything in my life. And I went. And then I ended up serving for a couple of summers before I graduated college. Uh, and while I was doing that, the same thing, you know. Um, the way I talk about it is like as a camper, you experience this like love and value and acceptance radiation, you know, you're exposed to it and it's beautiful. But then as a summer staffer, you get, uh, you're experiencing that radiation week after week after week after week for about 10 weeks. And it just uh, sinks in more deeply and is all the more powerful. And you're seeing, uh, you're not only feeling that love, value, and acceptance, but you're you're providing it for others and creating these sacred spaces with kids, uh, and and it's just intoxicating. So, uh, I just like I caught kind of a bug to work in the summer when I was a camper. When I was a counselor, I thought you know I wouldn't mind you know being the director of of this place, and I spent probably about six years trying to align my life so that I could. Uh, have the resume and the skill set and the knowledge to come back and do that uh, when it was available. So, so even early on, you thought about this was your destination, uh, career wise. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was thirty years old when I got hired to be full time director of the camp that I live at now, Stony Lake. And I remember thinking, well, now what? Like I got there, you know, I'm thirty, and I've been dreaming about this for six years. And like, is this just it till I retire? Like, how is this going to work? You know, uh, and here I am 17 years later. So, well, it's, well, there's some, there's some shifts in that 17 years later. However, let's go back to uh, talk about how you said that you wanted to get some skill sets to make sure that you were prepared to be yeah. somebody here that's full time. What, what did that essentially look like? What did that look like? for you to make sure that you had the, the proper tools in place. Yeah. Yeah. The, the funny story. So I graduated um, college in 1998, December. And between that time and 2005, when I was finally hired full time, I'd applied to be a camp director in this Michigan system uh, five times uh, in that short window, every time it became open, uh, once at Michaluka, which was a, a former site that we owned and, and, and four times here at Stony Lake. Uh, and it was different iterations, part-time, uh, seasonal. And, and so the time that I got it was the first time that it was full-time. Uh, and so I spent, uh, that time learning as I went, you know, I'd submit a resume, I wouldn't get an interview or I, or I might get a, a reply back or whatever and trying to figure out what to do. And I would talk to some friends, who were trying to get into nonprofit kind of stuff too. And um, so I started to volunteer for the organization, uh, started to network with people and decision makers within Living Water Ministries um, by contributing back uh, because it was still a passion of mine. You know, it was strategic to do that just so that I could 
build those relationships, but I really loved uh, doing that volunteering for Bass Lake Festival. I actually designed the logos. I'm a graphic designer by education. Um, designed the logos for Living Water Ministries long before I ever worked here. Uh, uh, I designed some summer brochures and just uh, gave up my time and sort of shared my skill and gift set and my personality. Uh, I went to an outdoor ministry um, training program through our denomination uh, one, one year. And I got on a nonprofit board. I was living in Mount Pleasant, working at a community bank, doing graphic design. And I got on a nonprofit board there so I could uh, bolster my resume and give back to my local community. And I uh, started a part-time youth ministry job on top of my full-time job at the bank doing graphic design so that I could continue to be involved in something that I was passionate with, be networking and be in the community of, of adult leaders and pastors and people that are engaging uh, you know, living water ministry. So, um, I just always tried to make sure I positioned myself well, uh, with the goal of, of trying to qualify for a job here. Well, I think that that obviously worked and now you've come full circle. I shouldn't yeah. say full circle, but you've advanced to the highest situation within the camping, your, your camping system by yep. Going from camper to now executive director. How was that shift from just being like the local camp director for one of the camps to the big boss? Yeah, it was a little terrifying. Uh, Up until that point, (laughs) uh, my work experience had been that I was a great uh, second chair. Like when I was at the bank. I supported the community relations and marketing work of the, of the bank. And so there was a marketing director and I felt really good about my role, making that person look good, you know, uh, and thought I was great at doing that. When I came to living water, uh, I, I feel like I ran Stony Lake very well. Um, but I really enjoyed hiding in the shadow of the former executive director and supporting his work and making him look good and the organization look good. And when he announced his departure, my immediate reaction was, uh, uh, well, we'll see who they bring in. You know, I didn't have any interest in it, really. And it, it, and it gnawed on me some. And I, I, I honestly felt called to apply reluctantly uh, because uh, I didn't know that I wanted that 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 first chair you know mm-hmm. um and so it was a little terrifying i went through the interview process and was just real honest about what my gifts were and what they weren't and um the selection committee uh made their determination and offered me the job and i accepted it but i i had never uh i had i had spent at the bank budgets of up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in advertising money but i had never budgeted for a you know, an organization of this size. Uh, I had never hired a full-time staff person, done reviews. You know, there's HR, there's higher level fundraising. Like I was a great camp director that programmed this camp very well. And in a lot of ways was a programming person. And now it was a a very huge shift. And so with me, uh, kind of my story has a lot of moments in it where I either have to learn or it's not going to work. And so I, I just got busy learning what I needed to know uh, and leaned into not knowing, you know, wasn't afraid to say, I don't know. I'm going to have to research that. I'm going to have to call somebody. I think the real secret of this work is knowing who to call when you need something done or to get the right advice. Uh, and so, you know, the toilet breaks, you, you know, you, you know who to call, you know, the septic breaks, you know who to call, the freezer breaks, you know who to call. 
you know, um, when there's an HR issue, do you have an HR attorney, you know, you know, um, and not being afraid to do that because you can't know everything. So, yeah. Well, I mean, how much of the, the networking and, uh, building your resume up prior to becoming actually a full-time staff member helped you in that regard of becoming, of shifting into the executive director role. Yeah, I think a lot. When I interviewed for the executive director role, uh, I remember, uh, and the, and then full-time camp job here too, I remember uh, leaning into one of the gifts I do think I have, which is relationships. I think I'm, I'm good at building and maintaining relationships uh, and that relationships of trust and reciprocity and, um, and so, uh, so that, that really has, uh, I think I was able to leverage that, you know, because I was in the network, I was a known entity, I was respected, I had proven, uh, my commitment, um, I think for donors, for adult leaders, bringing kids for, uh, even summer staff, you know, uh, who just wanted to make sure that, you know, the person leading them was as passionate about what they were doing as they were, you know. Um, and I, I was able to leverage those relationships, I think, to do that. No, I think that that's great. And, and the fact that you were transparent in what you said that you didn't have the full experiences of, but yet you were still hired for the job, says a lot about what the folks thought you could bring to the table um and so i think that's that's really that's really key do you um do you think just because of your longevity with the camp that was the camp system that you're part of because we shouldn't refer to it just as one camp at this point yeah but but uh do you feel like that really played probably the major role because you did build that relationship through through that through that time i i I think i think it was a huge contributor um i certainly think the longevity now is yielding different kinds of fruit at this stage of the game um and and then i was about five years into being with living water when that transition to executive director happened but i was uh, two years, like I said, a youth director prior to that, and in the Living Water Ministries culture, probably far longer uh, than that. So I was probably about uh, eight years into the culture by the time I uh, became executive director. So I think, yeah, all that did help. I remember at the interview, there was a panel of people, uh, and we were sitting in a circle, and uh, they were asking me a bunch of questions. And I, I feel like this was the question, because I saw people's expressions, and I didn't I just was answering honestly, but they asked me, um, well, tell us why you're the right candidate for this job, you know? And I said, uh, that's for you to figure, that's for you to decide. I, I don't know if I'm the right candidate for this job. You know, I can only tell you what I, what I am and am not good at. And, 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 you know, this is, this is the hard work you all have before you. Um, but, uh, and, and part of that, you know, I don't want to sit here and tell you how I'm better than this, that, or the other person. Like, I'm me and I have my gifts and those gifts either fit well here or they don't, you know, and, and I could see on their faces like, all right, yeah, I like that. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm not just gonna, 
BS you and and try and get the job. I want you to be able to make the decision you need to make. So, yeah. And I think that, again, that's just part of the trusted relationships and, and being as transparent as I can. So that's really awesome. Um, well, one of the things I want to circle back on, yeah. uh, is the fact that you have, you're a hugely creative person, mm-hmm. both, you know, in your ideas and in what you put forth, but mostly within your, your graphic design background, how much of that has carried over or have you, have you grabbed for that? That's helped you develop the entity that it is. Yeah, I think it's been huge. It's a, it's a weird gift set. I think that's not typical for an executive director to have. And we talk about it internally a lot because certainly the time it takes to do all the graphic design for our organization is time that I probably should be spending fundraising and doing higher level stuff. But the cost for outsourcing it uh, for the quality that we would expect would also be very high. So, um, yeah, and it helps keep it. it, It's critical because uh, from the very beginning, I tried to, to create a a brand around living water, if you will, I guess, or an identity, visual identity that really looked top-notch professional. Um, you know, we are, uh, in all honesty, kind of a mom and pop camping situation in, in the grand scheme of camp. There are some mega camps out there and we are not that. Um, but, but we are a, a powerful little, little, uh, engine of, of impact here and, and our, our materials and our presence when we booth it at conferences or, um, whether we're advertising and on a national level or a state level or our brochures or how we go about that, I, I try and keep that looking uh, pretty top shelf. And I think that's an important thing for parents and for, um, donors and other constituents to, to take note of, um, because they want to feel like where they're, what they're involved in is is put together and so you need to look put together and i think that's huge but i think it's also helped me think through our, our kind of our whole communication plan what's what's the voice of living water ministries how do we articulate what we do um we do this pretty full uh, multi-page newsletter full color piece that we've just started doing in the pandemic um uh, and i write like 95 percent of the of the copy for it you know um and again, that, uh, that creates a bottleneck sometimes because it requires me to do it. Um, and and we're just now trying to kind of bring other people into the fold that can kind of adopt the voice and carry some stuff forward because uh, the fundraising need continues to grow. But yeah, uh, the graphic design piece is such a unique skill that I I can't imagine being an executive director and not having it, you know, because uh, it, it helps you think. Because graphic design is really about uh, so it's a problem solving art. Uh, so, and that translates well. And it's, and it's just, uh, like, I like thinking about how a person experiences our brochure from beginning to end. Like, how do they open it? How, you know, what do they encounter first? And, and I think through like the physical aspects of graphic design, as well as the communicative ones. Uh, and that that's a gift set that also has translated into program development and uh, and some larger level visioning. Like, so if we're going to do a big thing, how are people going to engage it from step one all the way through? Um, and it's the same. It's the same brain work. So, well, um, moving into some of the executive director situations, I think one of the 
the biggest aspects that you probably and uh, had to face and was difficult was to um, figure out the situation with Michaluka, your largest camp, and yep. the sale around that. Yeah. Um, how was that for you? Yeah, this is where this turns into a counseling session. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't what it was meant for. But yeah, hey. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me uh, let me unburden all my stress for it. Uh, so we had, for those listeners that might not know, we, we were a system that had two camps. Um, the one that we kept is called Stony Lake. It's on the west side of the state, and it's 16 acres uh, on about a mile and a half long lake that channels out to Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful piece of property. Um, but the camp that we had that we sold was a 365-acre camp with uh, inland lakes uh, in a beautiful wilderness in the northeast part of Michigan in the lower peninsula. And it was just like, you know, real dark sky at night. The stars there were, were unmatchable. I mean, to be able to just lay down and look up at the sky, um, the, the property itself had, you know, just flowed and the water features and the different, uh, the different nature features there were, were amazing. Uh, and it was a very emotional thing to close and sell that property. Uh, and there were a lot of factors into that, uh, why that decision was made. But it was it was emotional. I hadn't been a camper at Michaluka, but I had, um, my family had rented a home that was available on that site when I was young. I saw my first deer there. Um, I had been a, a staff person there for a couple of weeks while I was a staff person here. There was a, a need to go support up there and had probably one of my favorite camp weeks of my entire time being a summer staff person uh, up there. I had been on a committee that put on a music festival there every year. Uh, and, uh, I, and my youth group would go there in the winter. So it was just, for me, it was, it was also a personal sacred place. Um, but organizationally we couldn't sustain two facilities, uh, again, for a variety of factors. And so the, the board had made the decision to close and sell that camp in 2014. So, um, that was, it was a it was a painful and emotional process for many, including myself, and it was very difficult to lead through it because at the same time, uh, you know, as an executive director of any organization, I, I have to believe you're always way ahead of everybody else in your thought processes about organizationally what needs to happen, where the vision is, what works, what doesn't work, and so you're always trying to bring people up to speed to what you know or what you're seeing. Uh, and you're looking for some consensus around that too. Um, and so like I, I was both very mournful, but, but also pretty resolved that there was just no other way forward. Uh, and, and so then you had to stand up, I had to stand up and, and lead uh, forums explaining this decision while personally grieving and yet having to be the, the voice of reason that said, this is why, and let me walk you through some of the numbers and, and how this decision was arrived at. Um, and, and as you could imagine, when things are emotional, that's, that's some people can hear that and some people can't because it's just too mournful of a thing. Uh, and so just, uh, there was a lot of pastoring kind of work in that, or at least, um, almost like a chaplaincy to just listen to people's lament, um, and, and allow them, uh, that space to have it. So. Yeah, I don't know if I got to your answer all the way. No, I think that's that's fine. But I, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing something that I want to 
connect to the next thing, which is you said that there's a lot of pastoring. Yeah. So was this part of your, your journey towards going into seminary? Was this part of that whole process of adding seminary to being an executive director. Yeah, because you got all sorts of free time, right? Yeah, exactly. So why not add, you know, a master's, a four-year master's program? <laughs> um, <laughs> it, I, I've never thought of whether or not that influenced. I think uh, a, a, a pastoral way of being has been part of who I am. Uh, it's been what's drawn me to faith formation work and and being at Living Water Ministries and caring about what kids come to know about God and Jesus and what that means for their life. Um, and I'm even learning a lot still right now because I'm in seminary about what chaplaincy really looks like. I'm doing a, a hospital chaplaincy right now for, for my studies, um, which has been a, a phenomenal experience so far. But um, no, I, I started really discerning a call to ministry when I was a summer staffer and a pastor uh, told me that I should think about it. Uh, and I've never quite known if I should hate that person's guts or be appreciative that they said that to me, but they planted the seed in my head. And I had some family history. My grandfather on my mother's side was a pastor. Um, he died when I was before I was two years old, so I never really knew him, but I've, there's a connection there. There's some some family stuff there. My mom was a pastor's kid and the way we were raised in the church and my, my grandmother, his, his wife was probably the the definitive saint in my life. Um, and so there's a call to it in that way too. But, uh, it was, it was something that gnawed at me for a very long time. And in some ways kind of getting back to the, the beginning of, of, of being 30 years old and arriving in this job and thinking now what, um, Ever since I was 21 years old and that pastor said I should think about being a pastor, I'd been kind of running from it in a way uh, or putting it off. I thought, well, I'll do youth ministry a little bit and see if that satisfies the beast, you know. Uh, And so I did that. And then Living Water, like, you know, I think I've always been trying to satiate the sense of call with other ministry initiatives. Uh, And so here we are now, I think. 20, 20 some years later, 25 years later, uh, and I'm deep into the process, uh, probably graduating in 2024. Uh, got a few uh, big benchmarks to get through, but uh, yeah, it just stuck with me. And, and I was able to say yes, because uh, the education became available at no cost. I could do it remotely uh, and part-time. And there was no more reason to say no besides the immediate pain of taking on too much stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the Michel Lucas stuff um, certainly opened up my eyes a bit more to the, the complicated and challenging nature of pastoring. You're always going to have people that disagree on different issues that are more passionate about um, how services, you know, your church services put together or, or what the traditions are in a specific congregation that might need to evolve or, or change or adapt. Um, and, and what I found in myself in that scenario was uh, it wasn't so terrifying that I felt like I needed to run from it. Actually, I felt kind of called to run towards that, that stuff uh, and be a leader in the midst of that kind of uh, turmoil, uh, which I think a lot of congregations face in an increasing way uh, in the world that we're living in now. So, yeah. 
Well, speaking of the world that we're living in now, um, another hurdle, and I'm just going to say hurdle because it's just a bump before you yep. keep moving, is is the pandemic yeah. and how that affected camp and what kind of solution did you come up with uh, moving forward? Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to say that all the solutions were you like, just like, I just knew what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's how we got where we got. I think we 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 are where we are because of the grace of God. But at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, who's prepared when you're running a summer camp for the the possibility of not operating for a summer? I mean, that's where all the revenue comes from. And so, uh, at the very beginning, a lot of the the voices that we were listening to in our own camping network were saying, um, "You will not." fundraise back what you lose uh by not operating you just like just give yourself that grace you know you can't do it um and there will be losses here and so we had projected i think like a two hundred twenty thousand dollar loss for that first year we decided not to operate in 2020 i presented a budget to the board that would lose a ton of money to about two hundred twenty thousand dollars, and we ended up navigating that year without losing any money um you know we had a 108 percent increase to fundraising uh, we, uh, we got a PPP loan. We have, a an endowment from the sale of Michaluka that generated some interest and helped us out. And we were careful about the ways we spent, and we were also able to retain all of our year round staff without interruption. Uh, and so that was phenomenal, uh, and unexpected. We did not anticipate that happening. And I'm still trying to get my brain around it. And, and what we got really busy doing was we got really busy raising money and we created a lot of fun ways for people to support and engage whether it was a box of items that they got that they could kind of have a mini camp experience at home or some t-shirts that supported a specific program or doing a virtual 5k or our, um, we do a big race in the, in the fall every year that generates quite a bit of funds. Um, we were able to just rally people and still try and figure out in a very different way. How do we, how do we still follow our mission and bring people together, albeit, individually remotely but around a common cause uh and and that's that's what we did year one and we had a lot of fun doing it year one i i, I don't i don't I, like it was really neat uh and the energy was cool and people were very supportive and it was just very humbling to be a part of and then we got to year two and we decided to cancel a second summer and uh we were in a strong position to do that because we were no worse off than we were the first time we made the decision so I presented the board another budget that lost a ton of money saying, I don't know, like, we hope that people will be generous again, but we don't know, you know, and they were, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we had some good interest earnings on our investment and we were able to, you know, just financially secure our health. Uh, so we made it, we've made it through this last fiscal year. It ends at the end of this month. Uh, and we will not have incurred any debt, uh, tap reserve funds, uh, none of it. Uh, and we decided to build a new building that will be paid for by this summer. So um, at, in March of 2020, if you told me where we are now, I would have seriously laughed at you. Uh, mm. I just not even imagined it. Like I would have thought we would have been laying on staff and trying to just keep this thing afloat until it could come back. So, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. talk to me about your new initiative for Camp for All. That's, yeah. Because I, I think that's absolutely awesome and a key thing going forward. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, we've been talking about this internally. One of my secrets as an executive director here is that I only ever make sure I've got the next year figured out. <laughs> so I, I would love a five-year plan, but I don't think those make any sense right now. And it's just never been the way we've moved through space and time. Uh, and so we, we got to August of this last year. And we were looking at some of our goals for 2022, knowing that our, our intent is to come back. And this would be our first time back after two summers of cancellation, which was a bit more cancellation than most other folks. We were really conservative and safe about what we wanted to do. Uh, and uh, we were, but my donor relations cultivator, that's her title. She and I were on the phone uh, having a one-on-one -on -one and, uh, daydreaming about possibilities. And one of my former staff persons, uh, a person named Adam Delazine, had once said something to me that, that wouldn't leave me alone. I was talking once with him about wanting to, to bring 300 kids to camp for free. I said, I want to figure out how to raise money so that 300 kids can come to camp. And he just looked at me and said, why not all of them? And I was like, well, that's the right idea, but we, don't, we have no capacity to do that at the time. So, um, but it, it never left me alone. And I was telling Beth about this. And then while I'm telling her about it, I start opening up our budget. I'm like, well, what would it actually cost to do that? And in a non-pandemic year, uh, the normal amount would be about a quarter of a million dollars. So, uh, you know, 2015 or prior, before we went through the sale of that camp and found some new financial health, um, that would have been impossible, but I was like, man, $250,000 is way less scary than it used to be. We've had really great fundraising years. Um, people are rallied behind what we're doing. What's, what's the next level thing? Uh, and so we started to look into this idea of what it would take to do it and what kind of donor support would be required to get us there. And we had some money in reserve uh, because we had scholarship funds we hadn't been able to spend for two years. Uh, and so we were able to reduce that quarter of a million dollars down to about 180000 I was like, man, I feel like this is possible and worth the risk. And so I met with every one of our board members individually, pitched the idea, kind of explained the, the math of it and the worst case scenario, which is the worst case scenario is we don't raise a dime uh, and we've got to pay for it out of pocket. And we have some mechanisms where we could do that. We'll lose some momentum, um, but we won't fall apart. And uh, the conversation was really like, hey, we've spent the last two years making awful financial decisions uh, around closing the camp, like where we're going to lose near $200,000 twice. Let's, let's make a decision where we might lose that again, but for something really cool. And let's look at, um, you know, we've been closed for two years. What's the best way to come back strong, you know, and let, what's the best way for us to lean into our mission and. Uh, really bring together all of God's children and create a path for that to happen. So that's where that's where Free Camp came from, and everybody uh, agreed to it. So that's sort of amazing. Like I'm still trying to figure that one out. So we're in the process of <laughs> we offered it; it's going to happen, but we're also fundraising for it simultaneously. Um, and we'll see we'll see how it all ends up. Yeah, my my dream would be that we'd figure out how to be able to do it forever. But I think it's just a one year at a time thing. It's our, it's our comeback COVID situation. And then we'll figure out from there when we worry about 2023, <laughs> how, how we deal with that. Um, yeah. 
That's funny. Well, CJ, I could talk to you for hours on end about all the cool stuff that's happening um, in your camp, but we've got to come to a close. So what's the best way for people to find out what you're doing, hear about, hear more about camp for all, all that stuff. What's the best way? Yeah. So there's, uh, I think our website, uh, elcalivingwater.com. Uh, and you'll find on there different videos about different programs. Uh, some of them produced by the fine people at Unodus Multimedia <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you'll hear about gift for camp and all those things, uh, there. Uh, and be, a, be able to kind of look at the full gamut of, of programs we offer from our anti-racism programs for high school kids uh, to just uh, send in your, your uh, first grader for the first time to camp. So Great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate hearing your story and your journey. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all again for taking some time to listen to our program. And don't miss the next episode. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. And if there is someone you know of or if you are an executive director and want to be uh, talk about or you want to hear about somebody's journey, please email us at missioncontrol at introduce.com. And if this is your first time here, please subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcasting platform and give us a positive review. Thank you all again and see you next time in the Control Center. I'm Paul Schmidt. Thanks you.